self-care doesn't have to look like an Instagram post. <laughs> self-care um, can, can look like sleeping in on the weekends. Welcome to the Child Life Wildlife Podcast, a platform dedicated to sharing the honest ins and outs and vulnerable truths about the child life profession with your host, Jessica Lewin. Come and gain tangible next steps and confidence as you learn how to use your child life skills, protect your mental health, and glean inspiration, hope, and ideas from fellow certified child life specialists, students, and professionals. And now, here's your host, Jessica Lewin. Hello, and welcome to the Child Life Wildlife Podcast. Today, I'm really excited for my conversation with Elizabeth Fox. Elizabeth Fox is a child life specialist in a large, freestanding children's hospital in California. She currently works on a surgical unit that also has a neurological test wing. She was born and raised in California, but she has Michigan roots, which I love because that's where I'm currently located. And if Elizabeth still lived in Michigan, we could be getting into quite some mischief and not just be like, text you, call you friends, but like friends that hang out, which would be wild. She is married to a high school physics teacher and has a teenage son. She's passionate about mental health and respecting healthy boundaries and constantly working on creating and maintaining her own, which is why I'm so, so glad she's here to talk to us a little bit about burnout today. Throughout my conversation with Elizabeth, we dive headfirst into the lack of education surrounding burnout and boundaries and how we're so focused as a profession on nailing our assessments for children and families that we sometimes forget to self-reflect and remain self-aware and assess ourselves at times. Elizabeth also does a great job of giving us tangible next steps for those struggling with burnout and more. I cannot wait for you to hear this episode. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Elizabeth Fox about burnout in the child life profession. Hi, Elizabeth. Thank you so much for being on the Child Life Wildlife Podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. You have been one of my closest friends throughout the whole like child life journey. And it's a little bit crazy how we met because we met at a site visit like back in. Yeah, when we were both interns. In like 2015, 2015. Yeah. And we were like, I'm alone at my internship and you seem nice. <laughs> and we just like exchanged yeah. information and kept in touch. And I'm thankful that you're here. Um, I'm so thankful for your friendship over all these years. You've been such a great support for me. Um, just for everybody to know, Elizabeth is here to talk to us a little bit about burnout and how she's kind of handled that in the field, um, how it's affected her personally and professionally. And it's going to help give us a little bit of insight on how she's dealt with that. So for starters, could you just tell me a little bit about yourself? Anything you'd like to share of who you are, how long you've been a child life specialist, how you got your start, anything you'd like to share to our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I have been a child life specialist for what, five years now, six years? And um, I work at a freestanding children's hospital in California. 
and uh, we have over 300 beds in our hospital. I currently work on a med surge unit, and we also have a lot of our neuro testing um, on our unit as well. And, you know, every now and then we get a little bit of everything as well. Um, I started in the emergency room. I covered a maternity leave in oncology. I worked in day surgery for a little while. So I've kind of been all over the place. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm sure that's got given you a lot of really good experience to just easily be able to adapt to wherever you're in. Yeah, it's it's been great. It's really helped me grow my skills as I come along. Yeah, definitely. So with burnout, was that something, if you're thinking back to being a student, was that something that you were taught or like kind of warned about as something going into the child life profession that may happen? Um, Or I guess, how did you really feel about burnout initially when you learned about it? You know, I I really am not I don't specifically remember us discussing burnout very much when I went through my master's program or even very much in my practicum or my internship. Um, I think a lot of people tend to focus on the more positive association of self-care, 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 which is wonderful and we absolutely should promote. um, But you it's hard to talk about self-care without also talking about burnout right. and compassion fatigue and um and i think not just among child life specialists but among people of all kinds of helping professions experience these things and i think the more we talk about it the less we less stigma it has and the less stigmatized it is and I think it's just really important for child life specialists especially to make sure we're taking care of ourselves when we are giving everything we have to the children and the families that we work with yeah i think now so i know there was kind of like a surge of social media platforms that came about within probably the last three or four years that um i think students have really gotten attached to that are bringing up these conversations and having more honest conversations about boundaries and burnout and things to be aware of that aren't the like glamorous we play with children and prep and support and it's lovely and I definitely think there's parts of our jobs like any job that has its downsides that I think is important to let students know um, and specialists to normalize the fact of like you're not the only person experiencing burnout so Actually, with my practicum program that I offer at our hospital, the first week, it might sound like a lot, but the whole first week focuses on burnout and boundaries. That's what we talk about for um, assignments and what we talk about just in our conversations that I'm having with the students that week is I'm kind of starting them on the footing of these are the things that you need to protect yourself from and to have those tools of, like you said, self-care to um, just armor yourself with so that you know why you need self-care and not just like that's helpful but like why is it helpful and when do you need it um I think is important yeah you know and and not to downplay self-care self-care is vital and it's a vital part of burnout but you know reducing the stigma around burnout and um compassion fatigue especially um self-care doesn't have to look Mm -hmm like an Instagram post. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. self-care um, c- 
can can look like sleeping in on the weekends. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it it doesn't have to be doing yoga on the beach. Exactly. Yeah, that's such a good point. Could you talk a little bit, you talked a little bit about compassion fatigue for our listeners and people who aren't really familiar with that phrase. Could you give a little bit of a definition of what that is? Absolutely. So for uh, healthcare workers, especially, but anybody that works um, in a in a people service industry, it is really um, important to have that kind of individual self reflection. So that you can recognize when you are starting to find that it is harder to give yourself and your emotions and your service to your patients and your families or the people that you work with. It can manifest as um, almost as laziness sometimes, as, oh, it's not that big of a deal. I can just drop off a craft and, you know, doing the minimum Mm -hmm. and not really spending the time and the energy that it takes to do a full assessment of a patient or of a family, making sure that you are meeting all of their needs Mm -hmm. and not just the real superficial, superficial ones for them. Sure. So basically giving too much of yourself that now you're almost too tired to do the full extent of your job. Exactly. So one of the one of the really common phrases that people, you know, talk about is you you can't pour from an empty cup. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you have that empty cup, you're often feeling compassion fatigue and that's you know, when you're and burnout, that's when you're feeling unable or even a little bit uncaring towards your patients and their families. And, you know, child life has this um, reputation as being all smiles and happy and joyful. And we absolutely are and we love that role, but we are still people and mm-hmm. we lift some of the burden of hospitalization. I think a lot of us take take on some of that burden for them and that's that can start to empty our cup over time and if we are not practicing self-care and debriefing with our colleagues Mm -hmm. and getting appropriate time away from the hospital and compartmentalizing appropriately and things like that Mm -hmm. you really can start to find that it's harder and harder to connect with families in the way that you need to create a therapeutic relationship. Thank you for sharing that. For burnout in the sense of how you experienced that, when did you first realize that you were becoming burnt out? Can you remember like a pivotal moment where it had initially started to build or kind of all came crashing down at once for you? That's a really good question. So I think everybody can experience burnout differently. Mm -hmm. And for some people, it may come as a big crashing, crushing moment Mm -hmm. where you can't drag yourself to work. Um, And and sometimes it can just present in smaller ways. Um, I went through a period of time where I was working in a unit that I didn't feel appreciated and I didn't feel wanted and I felt like every day was a struggle and I was having a lot of professional struggles at work and it was so hard and I found myself you know 
having headaches more often and having an upset stomach more often and feeling anxious at work and finding myself taking more and more mental health days, um, unplanned mental health days, especially. And, um, and that was really when I realized that I was having trouble coping with the situation that I was in and um, something needed to change. Yeah, yeah. So even physical symptoms of burnout, I think that's also something that's not discussed a lot of um, just protecting your mental health. Initially, our brain is trying to communicate with us and say, take a day, take take time for yourself, help yourself. And when your brain finally goes, listen, <laughs> she's not listening to me. Stomach, ramp it up. Like, or headache, let's go. Because the physical symptoms we seem to, as a society, that's like you said, that's not stigmatized. That's normal. When I have a headache, when I have a stomach ache that's debilitating, I know I need to take a day off. But when my brain and my mental health is saying, take a day off, I'm more likely to be like, it's okay, I can push through it. It's not a physical symptom, but it's just as important. Right. Yeah, I I think that's exactly, exactly right. Um, Because, you know, if I have a stomach ache, I can call call into work and say, I'm sick today. I can't Mm -hmm. come, you know, whereas if you go, if you crawl out of bed and you say, I just can't today mm-hmm. there is a lot more, what do you call that do you call that a, a sick day yeah you do you, you do. call it a mental health day you need that time that was a while ago and as time has gone on for me I have recognized okay you know I need to plan some of these um you know mental health days a little bit more carefully yeah um and space them out a little bit and hopefully things won't build up quite as much because you know I really pride myself on genuinely connecting with our families and Mm I want to do that but I also know that I need time for myself in order to be able to do that I think as a society we still do a lot of um a lot of judgment, a lot of stigma around our mental health needs. And I, I really feel that it's important as our growth, not just in our career, but, you know, as for us as people that we really need to be able to talk about, you know, I'm suffering right now and I need some time for myself and I need to recoup and I need to, um, I, I need to recharge so I can come back and be the best version of myself for my teammates and for my colleagues and for my patients. Yeah. So you talked a little bit about having that burnout with the physical symptoms start for you when you were in this unit that you felt a little underappreciated for and just didn't feel good going into work every day. So do you remember how long it took for you to start to get out of that phase of burnout or was there something that got you out of it was it just getting out of that unit yeah there was a couple of there was a couple of things honestly it wasn't a good fit for me professionally mm-hmm. it wasn't it, not that i of course like all units have pros and cons but it wasn't um a population that i was feeling really great about and i um felt uncomfortable there so you know finding a unit that was more my speed and 
um, I felt more comfortable in was definitely a solution. Um, having, having colleagues and in, and friends to confide in can be very helpful, mm-hmm. whether that's debriefing with trusted people at work or child life specialist friends outside of work, maybe such as yourself, <laughs> um, you know, and even I have a very close relationship with my family. And so even talking with my family in a, you know, HIPAA compliant way sure. about, you know, what's going on and the struggles that I'm facing. Um, it's really good to have people to talk to about what's going on and how you're feeling and really prioritizing your health. Yeah. I really appreciate that you talked a little bit about the, the unit that wasn't a good fit for you. I think that's something, especially coming out of an internship and your certification exam and going into a job feeling like I'm ready to tackle anything and not every unit is going to be your fit. Yes, you have the skills to adapt to different units and stuff, but you have to also know yourself well enough to go, is this where I'm supposed to be or would I thrive in a different setting and that doesn't make you any less of a child life specialist? Absolutely. And I think that's really important. Um, I think a lot of people come into the, into child life feeling like I'm going to work in hematology and oncology, or I'm going to work in the emergency room, or I'm going to work in, you know, name your unit. And because that's what I have a passion for. Mm -hmm. I love the NICU and that's my jam. And, and, it might be, but I know many, many, many specialists who were saying, I absolutely never want to work in X unit mm-hmm. and then end up doing a rotation there or coverage there and going, actually, I love it and it's where I want to be. So I think as students and as specialists, just being open to um, not every unit is for you mm-hmm. and that's okay. It doesn't make you a, a bad child life specialist. Um, it doesn't make you less skilled. It's just knowing what fills your cup mm-hmm. and not and not all units will fill your cup and not all units will be the right match and that's okay. Definitely. What would you have done differently to prevent you from feeling burnt out? If I could go back, I think I probably would have done a better job of advocating for what I needed in that moment. Um, I think it was becoming apparent to me that that unit was not a good fit long before I was really able to verbalize that to my leadership. So if I could go back, I would give myself the the strength and the confidence to go to my supervisor and say, this is not a good fit for me and I need help. Yeah, I think it took me a long time to realize that and honestly to humble myself to realize mm-hmm. that it was not a good fit. I think as child life specialists, we really want to be universal and we look at a challenge and we go, I can do that. I can do whatever I need to do in order to get it done. And so I kept looking at this unit and my struggles going, it's going to get better. I'm going to fix it. I can do it. And not being able to fix it and 
it not getting better is not a reflection of my skills. And I needed to humble myself to know that and to recognize that I needed help and that was okay. That can be extremely hard to do. Absolutely. And it's easy for me to say it now and to recognize it in hindsight, but honestly, it's never that easy when you're in the middle of it. No, no. Uh, My biggest advice is continuously and constantly be Mm self-reflecting. And you know, I wonder if that's something that we could also be teaching students now because we talk so heavily about assessment and advocating for our patients and families but you know what a good self-assessment does lets me know when I need to advocate for myself too so absolutely I think you said it exactly right if I'm not doing that for myself that's not what I'm portraying to my patients and families and that's like what you said with compassion fatigue and now I'm not giving my best because I haven't done that initial assessment on me you talked a little bit about self-care and not having it be Instagram, you know, (laughs) self-care and having it be more sleeping in on the weekends. But what did you find helpful to practice tangibly in order for you to move yourself out of burnout? That's a great question. I really feel that taking time away from the hospital is one of the best things that you can do for yourself to take care of yourself, even when it means walking away from a project that is unfinished, mm. even when it means handing off a procedure to the person who's working after you, even though you have a great rapport with that patient, it means giving that patient and that specialist the opportunity to build their rapport and to grow both in their skills and in their relationship and remembering that it's not about you. As specialists, I think we really pride ourselves on the relationships and the rapport building that we do with patients and families. Um, But it's really important to remember that these interactions, yes, we're building relationships, but they are about the patient and they are about that family and what best serves their needs. Mm -hmm. And you can't serve their needs if you're burnt out or if you're working late or if you're worried about a project that you didn't finish. So I really think that taking true, genuine time away from the hospital, don't stay late. If you are salaried, watch your hours. Make sure that you are not, you know, working too much time or flex. If you have to stay late, maybe there's a bereavement, flex your time the next day. Don't wait until a week later to flex your time because it's technically still in the same pay period or whatever. Like really meet those deficits when they're happening. And if you're hourly, depending on your institution, I highly recommend that you don't work overtime. It is really important to protect your time outside of the hospital, even if it means letting things be undone. Mm -hmm. Because yes, what we do is vital and important to mitigating medical trauma and preventing emotional trauma. The hospital will work and run without us though. And sometimes we have to swallow our own pride and remember that the world does not revolve around us and Mm -hmm. our relationship with the patient and things will move on whether or not we're there. Sometimes you just have to say no. Right. I know for me in the beginning, 
I was like, oh, I can stay extra. I can stay extra as long as I wasn't going over overtime, as long as I was just working a couple hours that wasn't taking me over 40 hours. Um, I would give that. And within the last two years or so, I've started to leave on time as best as I can. And what it's done is it's made my nurses know that. So I've had, even just this weekend, I got a call for my Sunday shift that gets done at 2, and the nurse goes, it's 1.50. Hey, I know you leave at 2. Would there be any way? Are you charting right now? Mind-boggling things that I just, like, didn't think was possible, that somebody would respect my time, respect me, respect my charting (laughs) as a priority Mm -hmm. over... Yes, this child, you know, I do leave at 2. I don't come back until 8 a.m. the next day. So, yeah, this 3-year-old's not going to have any toys in their room unless I bring it um, or unless a nurse or somebody else has some time to do that. So um, I thought that was super kind. But when you take care of yourself, other people notice that you're taking care of yourself and will respect that. Absolutely. Just like, you know, as, as working with children, we all understand that kids love boundaries, right? And honestly... I think all people work better when they know where the boundaries are. And so if you set that boundary with your staff of, hey, I leave in a half an hour, anything that you need me to do before I go, because I'm leaving in a half an hour Mm -hmm. and reminding people I'm leaving in a half an hour, I'm leaving in an hour, I'm done at four, whatever it has to be, whether it's put signs up in your unit or, you know, verbally remind people as as you're walking out the door. It's helpful for everyone. It's helpful for you because it helps prevent your burnout and increase the respect that you have for yourself. But it's also letting your teammates know, I respect you enough to let you know what my boundaries are. And now I expect the same respect back. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, this has been a lovely conversation. I want to end with just some closing questions that I ask everybody who's a guest on the show. My first question is, if somebody's listening today and they are really resonating with what you've talked about with burnout and self-care, what is a tangible action step that they can take just one thing to get them on the right path? Make boundaries. Leave on time. Let your families and your teammates know what time you're leaving, what your plan is. Set those boundaries so that you know that they know where it's coming. And even saying it out loud, you're manifesting. I'm leaving at 2 o'clock today. Letting (laughs) them know and letting yourself know. I'm leaving at 2 o'clock. Reinforce that with yourself and with your families that... Even if that project is unfinished, even if that chart note has to be signed tomorrow, leave leave on time. Set those boundaries for yourself and for your professional work environment. Okay, so I have a lot of students that follow along and I'm sure listen to this podcast. What's one thing you'd say to them as a tip for moving through this profession? I think even child life students can start setting boundaries. Even when you are going through your education, when you're going through your internship, it is not selfish to prioritize yourself. And it is something that is easier for us to sit here and talk about, but it's a muscle. And like anything Mm -hmm. else, you have to practice it to make it stronger. So you will practice setting boundaries as a student you will become stronger at setting boundaries as a professional. Yeah, 
I didn't even think about how boundaries affects my personal life, you know, <laughs> that if you start setting up that respect with your family and your friends and you're only going to, like you said, it's a muscle, you're only going to have that grow stronger in your professional life too. Okay, and then the last question is, obviously the the theme of this podcast is child life, wildlife. So if child life is a wildlife, what's the wildest part of your experience so far? I think being a child life specialist is pretty wild in and of itself. Um, we hear some crazy things in the hospital and it's super fun to hear things through kids ears Mm. and really, um, has made me reflect on some of the funny medical jargon that we use in the hospital that patients and families kind of look at us a little cross-eyed because they don't know what they're saying. Um, and it kind of ties into being a child life specialist in general is, you know, that translating part of what we do where we make uh, the medical world a little bit more accessible for patients and families. Um, So some of the wild interpretations that I have heard from kids about some of the words that we use at our hospital, we talk a lot about moving from either the ICU to the acute care floor or from the emergency room to the acute care floor. And we call it moving, going to the floor or moving to the floor. And you hear all the time kids get really confused when you say that to them oh we're going to move you to the floor and they go why <laughs> what, what's wrong with the bed that i'm laying in why do i have to get on the floor um or i think it just makes us really mindful of some of the the silly things that we say even when we're trying to make things more child friendly like everybody knows that you shouldn't say anesthesia to a four-year-old but if you tell them oh i'm gonna put you know this medicine is gonna put you to sleep well what did they do to their dog last summer? Yeah, they had to put him to sleep. And, you know, that's, that's a little creepy. So I think we hear a lot of wild things about the interpretations that kids make. Everybody knows about using the word poke instead of shot. Um, or, you know, straw instead of IV or needle. Um, but what about stretcher? You know, like, think think about what a stretcher sounds like to a kid. Like a, a machine that stretches you. Right. Or, or um, a dressing change, even. I have to change my clothes? No, no, no. Mm. We're just talking about changing the stickers or changing the Band-Aids. You know, whatever their language is. I think the wild ways uh, that kids hear the way we talk always makes me much more mindful of how I say things. I was explaining a port to a kid the other day and he misheard me and he heard the word pork with a K like a, like a pig. (laughs) And so now it's, you know, he's had a port for about a week now and he keeps calling it his pork and it's really adorable. And I kind of don't want it to change. I know. Sometimes the ways that they interpret things, you're just like, that's okay. You just keep that up for now. (laughs) It's cute in a little four-year-old. I love it. (laughs) Uh, Well, thank you so much for being on the show. And especially for those of you that don't know, Elizabeth is the first one to record with me. So there has been a lot of giggles and (laughs) redo that, redo that, which has been super sweet. What are you talking about? We totally nailed this on the first try. <laughs> but I really appreciate being t- being able to do the first one with a friend who is easy to laugh with and not be so like embarrassed or anything. So 
been super fun and such an honor. I it's been really cool to watch you and your child life mentor program grow into this amazing child life wildlife that you've created. And thanks for letting me be part of it. It's an honor. 